working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today we're going to try something fun. In this episode, my co-host Zach Albetta and I have a unique opportunity to join forces with Nick Ruffini from Drummer's Resource. Uh, We take a little bit of a break from the normal guests that we have on, and we have another roundtable of sorts with myself and Zach and Nick. All three of us have been going through some major life changes. I'm sure most of you or all of you know Nick Ruffini from Drummer's Resource. Uh, Early on in this podcast, I reached out to Nick for advice, and uh, he's been awesome and uh, just a good resource no pun intended, for our podcast. And through Nick, I was able to connect with Zach, and he's been a part of uh, the team here, which has been awesome. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes we've done, you can find every episode from one to over 100 on workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave a rating and review. That helps us grow. Hey folks, can we talk snare drums real quick? Dreamy, loud, bright, poppy, clean, articulate snares, and well, do you believe it? Love at first sight? Okay, first sound. Well, before I get into all that, let me tell you, the folks at KHS America invited me back out to their place to experience a few new snare drums they launched at Winter Nam. And the drum I fell in love with, I was mentioning, it's one of the new Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series snares. It's called the Heartbreaker, a 14x6 8-ply mahogany shell with reinforcement rings. I could instantly hear the possibilities with this drum, and our friends at KHS America allowed me to take this drum on a test drive. I've used it live and in the studio, and let me just say, it got noticed. Punchy yet warm, it never lost its beautiful tone, even as I tuned it lower and lower. The other snares in this line include the Cherry Bomb, an 8-ply cherry wood precise-sounding snare available in 14x6 or 13x5.5, and the Equinox, a 14x5 6-ply maple snare that's described as classic, bright, and articulate. Yes, all true. Some of the shared features of these four drums are the pure sound snares and the micro-lock, cylinder drive with the butt-end adjuster, and English mat. Okay, you know that little click-click you feel on the throw that keeps the snares in place? That's what I'm talking about. In the very near future on this podcast, we are going to sit down and talk with Russ Miller and get the backstory on these snares, as well as some very interesting developments coming your way through the Black Panther Design Lab line of instruments. You're going to want to hear this. So here's the podcast host roundtable with myself, Zach Albetta, and Nick Ruffini from Drummer's Resource. Enjoy. I'm going to dive in right away because Zach had the idea of, of kind of discussing these transitions that we're going through as mm-hmm. a subject material because I think it's relatable. And I thought, I thought that was a great idea because all three of us are in different stages of this massive life change uh, yeah you know, mm-hmm. geographically and whatever and one and of i've the, done it twice in the last three years too. oh my god so uh, well one of the things that i've been doing to kind of re to change my life from being on the road to being at home is you have to juggle so many things to make stuff happen and one of the things is to try and promote some online tracking so i got my first session yesterday it came through sweet from Germany. Nice. Yeah, I'm real excited. And um, Are you doing the air gigs thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this duo from Germany um, sent me this track, and they said, hey, we want this country train beat uh, on here uh, like you do, uh, and here's a video of kind of what we're looking for. So they send me to this link of uh, somebody doing an instructional video of a train beat, and it's awful. <laughs> You're like, do you want me to play it like that, or do you want me to play yeah, it correctly? Like, Thank you for calling me. I'm glad that you know. I'm not going to say anything, but I'm like, okay, if that's their standard, get ready. I'm going to knock it out. I'm going to knock it out. I, I, I've been doing train beats for at least 15 years. <laughs> right, right. So, what was the process of, of like creating a profile on Air Gigs? And you had recorded. You have like your home recording rig for a while, right? Actually, not too terribly long. I have. I have it. The, most of the examples that I have, I'll, 
I think I have 12 examples through SoundCloud that they have an app that you can do a link there for SoundCloud. Also a video. I have a video linked to a session that I did last year. And so it just gives examples, but there's only one that has the, uh, rec- the sounds that I've gotten at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, and that's one of the tracks we're using f- on the podcast. Um, but it's, it's just an exam- more of an example of my playing. As I do more and I, as I produce more of the tracks that we've already done here at home at my house, um, I'll put those on there. But to set up on air gigs was super easy. There are lots of people on it, but there's lots of examples to go by. So right. it was a pretty quick process. Um, and that's one of the other things is, is linking that to now a personal website that I did. And again... I think a lot of people think that this stuff is intimidating and it's not. You just mm-hmm. got to sit down, take a couple hours and get started. And Even if you it. just set a pro- right, just do it. If it's not a hundred percent complete, just tweak it along the way and then let people know. Um, that's the hardest thing is just getting started. Dude. And done is better than perfect. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I believe that. This, so without go ahead, go ahead. Well, this this reminds me of uh, Matt the interview you did about a month ago with Hubert Payne, and he was talking about getting his recording rig together at home and yes. and how you know he uh, he expressed this kind of uh, trepidation that I think we all feel, which is you know it's 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 not worth tackling that kind of thing until you have a bunch of money and a bunch of expertise. Yeah. Um, but he he said, you know, I didn't have much money at all. I didn't have much expertise at all. I just started buying a couple of mics and screwing around with them. Yeah. It's like starting a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. You know, like I didn't, none of us knew how to do a podcast before we started it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And yeah. Nick, we'll 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 definitely get to your big transition here in a second. But Matt, this is this is an example of something that you can't really do if you're spending a lot of time on the road. Right. Like to to, to cultivate a clientele doing, you know, recording at home, um, you know, you got to be at home. So you, uh, this transition you're going through is, is that you and your wife recently decided that like, you're, you're not going to spend as much time on the road. You're going to be at home more with the family and work in Nashville more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and that's what I did. I mean, I moved here in uh, late 99 and made my living, working in Nashville. And then as of five years ago, the band I was working with was just finding a lot of work on the road. And we made decision year by year to kind of go ahead and stick it out. But I'm I'm older than you guys. My kids are 11 and 14, and I'm, I'm missing too much. And uh, after just struggling with it personally, and then a conversation with my wife, and she's like, I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, I can't either. Yeah. Right. And, right. um, and I, you know, I so think, so are you, yeah. are you going to do less touring or less? Cause I know you were doing a lot of cruise stuff too, which is like when you're on, when you're doing cruises, you're you're out there. You can't even communicate barely. This is a, this was a unique situation. This band was doing land gigs and cruise gigs where we would fly onto a cruise ship and play for three days, uh, do one night of shows, but be out on the cruise for three or four days as as a headlining act, not as one of the musical acts on the cruise that has a six to nine month contract. I got you. Yeah. So we were, but, but it would take me Either no matter how you slice it, whether it was land shows or whatever, I was away from Nashville. I was away from my family. I was mm-hmm. away from the music business community. And I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I know I'm talking so much right now at the top, but I'll, I'll, I'll shut my mouth soon. <laughs> no, but no, go for it. There, there. This this week, about. I can tell you this week. Like today, I have a live show. Uh, I had I've, tonight. I'm going to record that track. Uh, last week, I had two days of recording. I had a rehearsal uh, that a friend of mine, now that I'm in town, I'm available, and I let them know that I'm in town. So he's like, okay, I'm working with a producer who's developing a new young artist. We want to rehearse and start developing his show to do showcases and to get him up to speed to do live shows. And then they're going to push it, push a single and get him out on the road and then probably hire a touring band. But we're like the artist developing band. So what I'm saying is I had a chance to have a great rehearsal with a prominent producer who 
knows all these wonderful drummers, Kenny Arnoff and Matt Chamberlain and all these great uh, players, Shannon Forrest, all these great guys in Nashville who worked on the record and meet a 27-year-old upcoming songwriter who was just amazing. So in, in one week, I'm like, this is great. Yeah. Now, awesome. if, if, if I can pay my bills doing all that stuff, that's going to be the end result. But if it's not, non-music gigs may be a part of the equation. And you know right. what? I welcome it. I'm excited just about being in one place and being close to family. So There's, there's two things that, that you said that sort of stuck out. One was the fact that now that you're in town, and so many times for people who are on the road a lot, whether you're home or not, it's like, oh, let's call Matt. Nah, he's probably on the road. Let's call Jim. Yep. And they, you yep. don't even come to the top of mind, not because they don't want you to play, but they're like, oh, he's always on the road, so let's just not call him because he's probably not here, even which if may, or, may or may yeah. not be the case. Right. You know? Right. Um, and the second thing was how you – I love the fact that you were like, and some non-music gigs may, may play into this. And I, I put out a podcast a couple of weeks ago about changing the narrative of what it means to be a professional musician because yes. I – I don't have an issue or and I don't think other people should have an issue with doing non-music related gigs. It's like people wear like a badge of honor yep. and say, "Oh, all I do is is play music for a living." It's like, "Okay, that's cool, but you make 200 bucks a week." <laughs> so like, why not so you can struggle and wear this badge of honor or you can go out, get a day gig, make money and fund all the stuff that you want to do, like Chase Jarvis, who's the he's the creator of uh, um, or the CEO of Creative Live. Mm. He, one thing he said when I interviewed him, he said, "I don't make art to make money. I make money so I can make more art." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was great. I and I just love the fact that you said that because it's like, yeah, all right. If I have to go, if I have to go do these other things, I still get to play music. So why not like go do these other things while I'm not playing music, make more money. And then invest it into more gear and invest and not have to, you know, then you can pick and choose your gigs and, yeah, and yeah. all, I, I don't know. I think it's like a, it's a, it's all about freedom. And know? the middle, the middle ground between, you know, playing drums for a living and, and having a non-music gig is, you know, a bunch of the stuff that, that we're doing and a bunch of people I know are doing, it's like music related, but not playing. You can write, you can do a podcast, you can teach, yeah. you know, there, there are a lot of gigs uh, right. <laughs> that you can do that are still, you know, you still have your hands and your mind in music. And let's face it, like the days of, of being a session guy and, you know, making $300,000 a year are gone. Yeah. It's just not, you know, not right. that you need to make 300000 but like, you know, guys like, like, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, well, I'm, well I'm, Eddie Bears made was making I'm, six figures all through the '90s and into the 2000s, for sure. Like how Blaine had a yacht and a yeah, Rolls Royce. He was making millions. Never mind three hundred thousand. Yeah. It was like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. those days are gone. Mm-hmm. So ever and even guys at the at the top of the food chain are still doing all of these other things too. They're doing clinics. They're doing speaking engagements. They're teaching. They're you know they're doing all this other stuff. It's like you got you have to have multiple irons in the fire. Yeah, yeah. I struggle I mean, with that. We man. can't we can't all be on Law and Order like Rich Redmond or whatever he's doing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> man. I struggled with that. I struggled with that. Just that perception issue. Me too, of like, Matt. And and Me too, Matt. Uh, and I think not that to cut you off, but I'm just I just want to I'm like okay. I'm with you, man. Like lost sleep over it, like depression. Like yeah, I was I get it. I get it. It's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. And I tell you, there was an inspirational talk I had, and I'm his his name is escaping me. And and Nick, I think you've had him on the show recently. Steve Bowman, um, who was the drummer Steve. for Counting Crows, he played on the first record, August and Everything After. I mean, I loved that record. And I got it's some, my favorite record of all time. Yeah, I played along with it, man. I mean, Steve is such a sweetheart, and he moved to Nashville. And I, I ran into him at the airport, and I said, I'd love to have you on the show, man. And he goes, hey, uh, just so you know, I'm not a full-time drummer anymore. Like, after the flood in Nashville, he had to spend a lot of extra money to keep his property intact. And he goes, mm-hmm. I'm doing this other job. It's my full-time job. I said, okay, that's it. You are going to be on the show. I right. want you to talk about this. And right. I had I got a lot of very positive response from that because 
in the current climate, the way music is, the way the economy is, the way life is, you really have to shape things around. And unlike you guys, my kids trump everything. Mm -hmm. Of course. So. Of course. Yeah. And, you know, like, what's what's wrong with that? And But let me let me rewind a little bit, because I'm not I don't want to be in the business of telling people hey, give up on your music dreams and go get a day gig and just play on the weekends. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I think for me, it's a matter of balance and finding your happiness. So yeah. there, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be on the road, you know, for three years in a row. I just, I don't want to. Sure. Would I like to play with Justin Timberlake? I'd love to. Mm-hmm. I'd love to play with Bruno Mars. I'd love to play with John Mayer, mm-hmm. but I don't want to lose three years of my life at home and then come home and have not, and not have too much to show for it. But other people may be completely happy with that. So it's all about happiness and what's right for you. But I don't think that using someone else as the barometer of what you should be doing in your own life is that is a, a surefire way to, to be unhappy and to not win. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. the other thing all, all three of us have in common, especially in terms of, um, you know, kind of shedding the, the, the ego related badge of only playing for a living is that we're we're all married to amazing, supportive women who want us to play as much as we can. Sure, um, sure. But at this at the same time, being being in that marriage, I think I'll just speak for myself. Being being married to <laughs> Christina has made me want to. Um, you know, hold hold up my end in whatever way I have to, and and make good on the investments that she's made in me, whether they're right. financial or emotional or or whatever. It's not that she's you know standing there with her arms crossed, like when are you going to make some money? It's like it's coming from within me. Like I need yep. to I need to do right by this woman. You know, when I when I first moved up to New York, uh, I I, ju- I wasn't even married at the time. We we were just dating. And it was an, it was a weird transitional point in my life, and I was like, I just left the restaurant business with my family and all that stuff, and uh, and she was like, you can just come up here and live here, and I'll sort of take care of the because she, you know, she had a really good job. She's like, I'll take care of everything while you just figure it out. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I was like, wow, that's you know, I was like, I'm not gonna do that, but she like basically she was like, you can come up here and live in the apartment for free. Don't worry about any of that. I'll take care of stuff and you can just figure out this music stuff. Yeah. You know, and I was like, that's just the gesture. I was like, wow, that's a pretty uh that's a pretty awesome, awesome uh gesture. But I better I'm, start I'm gonna, learning I, her her likes and dislikes and her middle name. Man, this woman seems amazing. That's yeah, she, she's amazing. Uh but I was like, you know, I'll I'll figure out whatever I have to do in the interim through through this transition, and I th- that's really what we're talking about here is like the transitions that we go through, and you know, learning about like you like Matt, you were saying like going through coming to terms with, you know, I may have to do some other side stuff, or yeah. you know, I may not just make my money touring, and inside of those things, you find all this other stuff. Like I knew that I didn't want to tour started the podcast and everything. But now I'm actually learning that I love a lot of the music business stuff too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And really enjoy that stuff. Yeah. And, and us, there's a big difference between the drumming business and the music business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for a while I was kind of like burned out on the drumming business and was like, but I really love the music. I love music. I love playing. I love creating. I love listening, you know, and I like being a part of that. And then it kind of like clicked one day and was like, ah, I like the music business and the music industry more than I enjoy the drumming business. And it kind of came full circle and made me like fall in love with the drumming business again. And like, it's weird, man. It's weird how all this stuff works. And that doesn't mean that you can't pick up your sticks. That means you can't spend time behind the kit and do those things. Yeah. Right. You don't have to be Lance Armstrong to not enjoy riding bikes and working in a bike store and doing all those things. I I think all of it comes together and, and, participating in the podcast create creating podcasts and being a fan of podcasts has been really helpful in making this transition for me and coming to terms with not being a full t- the possibility of not being a full-time player as a way of making my, my uh, income because I hear so many stories of those who are balancing it like Steve Bowman's 
as well as the tough stories and the realities of being on the road through my experience of interviewing one-on-one and listening to podcasts like yours, Nick. And, and that hope has been just, that has been super helpful to me. And hopefully it's somewhat sure. therapy for people that are interested in what we're doing. And it's, it's opening. You start yes. to realize that you're not you know, alone. The people that we talk to yeah. are, are mortal. They're not gods. They have, you <laughs> right. know, they have issues. They have, you know, some have money problems. Some don't, you know, some are doing great. Some aren't. And, and, you know, you talk to some people and like, oh, wow, you're actually doing a lot better than I thought you were. Some other people that maybe aren't doing as well as you thought, or, uh, I think it, I think it for me with the podcast to, to your point, open my eyes to say, okay, there's, there's some things that I didn't really understand about, you know, the full being a full-time music. Uh, there were some things that I thought were true that are not. There are yeah. something, you know, and, and I mean good and bad. Um, but it was just a really eye-opening experience. And then I was, and you know who, I, you know who the, the person who did it for me was Billy Martin from Modesky Martin and Wood. Mm-hmm. And he totally changed my entire thought process about it. And he was like, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you are drumming full time, whether you work for a record label and you play one night a week, or whether you own a record label and you never play, or you work at Starbucks and you know mm-hmm. you have a gig on the weekend, he was like, it, "Who cares? Like if you love it and you're happy, then it shouldn't matter to anyone else." Yeah, that's all that matters. Yeah. And I don't know what it was, but like after that conversation, my life has never been the same. That's great. Uh, those are great. Those are great moments. Yeah. So, Nick, tell us about the the big move that that you're about to make, and and how that's going to affect your your podcast and your playing and and your whole uh, your whole life. So, Zach so, well, Zach is the moderator. He's assumed the role. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to hear Zach talking a little bit. I know. I know. I'll jump in there. Um, We're going to talk so, about working into a new city and then I'll, you know, and you know, it's funny. I was just telling my wife about it, about how well, how well you did it, but it was super impressive to watch because it was very quick. So I, we're definitely going to talk about it. Okay. Thank you. Um, so let me, uh, I'll give, let me give you a little bit of backstory. I, I live in New York. Well, I live in New York area. I live in Hoboken now. Um, so I'm right. I'm literally like right across the river from Manhattan. I'm about a 10 minute train, five minute train ride. Um, but I moved from the Philadelphia area up to here three years ago or four years ago. So I've done this relocation thing once, and now I'm about to do it again. We're moving to the San Francisco area. But when I moved up here, it was a really weird situation because I had I was working and playing. I just come out. I just put out my record, and I was uh, I was playing a lot. But I was also running the, my family's restaurant with them. So I would go on the road, and I would come home, and I had like this fallback thing where I could just go and bartend and work in the restaurant, and it was great. I was making a ton of money and things were amazing. All of that fell apart within a matter of like a week and a half. And then there was like, not to get too deep, but there was all these crazy legal battles and then blah, 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 blah. So then we opened up another restaurant, took all my money, me, my brother, and my dad. I took all the money that I had sunk it into this restaurant. And the the restaurant didn't, didn't do well in the beginning. It got better, then it got worse, and then we ended up selling it. So long story short, I moved up here. My life savings was invested in this restaurant. I didn't have a job up here and was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I started Drummer's Resource. And then in the beginning, I was trying to do everything. I was trying to grow Drummer's Resource. I was trying to get gigs. I was trying to uh, help a buddy of mine run this drumstick company. And I was just like, I can't do everything. I cannot do everything. And I really want to make Drummer's Resource work. So I purposely was like, I'm not going to pursue gigs in the New York area. I'm just going to focus on Drummer's Resource. Coincidentally, now, 2017, I'm really at a point where Drummer's Resource is like firing on all cylinders. It's rocking and rolling. It's taking a lot less grind time, mm, as I right. like to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to start playing out again. I'm ready to start gigging. I'm ready to start touring. Uh, you know, maybe not long tours, but I'd like to do like some short runs here and there again. And I, but I, So now I'm moving to San Francisco. So I'm I'm going to be making another transition, one, moving to the West Coast, but two, making the transition of keeping Drummer's Resource running but not having to focus every single minute of my day on it so now I can right. start gigging again. So it's going to be really interesting that I'm, I'm 
having this the time now to be able to do this, but I'm actually going to be doing it in a brand new city too. So right. I think it's going to be like a really a really fresh start. It's going to be you know a bit of a challenge, obviously, but but an exciting one. And and like my move to Atlanta, your move to San Francisco is is being brought about by your badass wife getting a badass job. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. If it were me, you know. If it were me, I would say that I would say I want to go to L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, at the same time, nah. like the San Francisco area is so beautiful, and yeah. I'm yeah. just like, I'm I'm really excited about it. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have chosen to go to L or to go to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But now that we're going, I'm really, really excited about Dude, it. Dude, it was the same thing with Atlanta. Like Atlanta was not on my radar in any sort of way. And and my wife came to me. She was like, so I got a call from this company. And she was talking up the company and the job. And I was like, this sounds amazing. What, like, And she was like, well, it's in Atlanta. And I was like, yeah. uh, uh, okay. You're like, at <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but I mean, the more the more we learned about it, the more we visited. I learned about the music scene. Like it, it became something that I got really excited about. Right. I think the one thing that sold me too, I was, uh, I found out that the town that I'm moving to is where David Garibaldi lives. Yeah. <laughs> so there's something in the water. Him, man. I was like, hey man, I'm thinking about moving there. You know, like what's what's it like? And he was like, there's a great music scene here. There's a ton of great players. Oakland is here. San Fran's here. He, he was like, you'll you'll love it. So sounds yeah. great. Like, man. cool. That'll work. It sounds like a, a word a word of caution. I, I think the locals don't like the, the term San Fran. I think I think it's like they say SF or they say the city, but I think if you say San Fran, they're like, oh. That's like here. I, I don't say I'm going to, I don't say I'm going to New York. I just say I'm going to the city. Right. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Where do you or, work? I work in the city. Yeah, I don't go to I don't <laughs> yeah, go to New Orleans. I work in New York. They're like, all oh, right, you're not from around here. <laughs> I don't go to New Orleans and say, Hey, hey, hey guys, how's New Orleans here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> just don't say that. Well Nick, I love it here in New Orleans. New New Orleans. <laughs> um so Nick, it sounds like there's some parallels between the restaurant business and creating the podcast. I mean, in many ways you have to work and work and work and then all of a sudden it takes on a life of its own and starts to operate you know what I mean? On its own, mm-hmm. where you can yeah, kind yeah. of take a step back. It's an operation. I think that's where we've been recently, the last six months or so, with with Working Drummer, where it's kind of, if if all we did was submit the interviews, I feel like things would steadily grow. But that's the last thing I'll say about my move, is the chance to reinvest and put some more efforts into the podcast where it needs it the way where you were a couple years ago. Um, so yeah. that's, that's an exciting thing. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm excited about the fact that just playing more too, so I can, it'll yeah, yeah. sort of help me, rem, you know, go through some of the struggles so I can use that for content for drummers resource and, yeah. and everything. Um, but I don't, there's no way the drummers resource would be where it is now. Had I not, had I been playing and touring and doing this and doing that, you know, so I'm, I'm glad that I did it. It's kind of sad now because we're leaving New York, but I never really felt like New York was my town. I, I love it here, but I never felt like it was my town in terms of, of in terms of gigging and playing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, that, that was another thing I wanted to ask you about, Nick, is because like one of the one of the differences between our two podcasts is that you basically for a couple of years you made Drummers Resource your full time job, um, yeah. and and that's something that that Matt and I have been you know, unable and unwilling to do because we, you know, we're, we're playing, we're teaching. Um, Mm -hmm. but you, you made the choice to just focus completely on that. Um, so, so now you're, you're looking at a, a a period now where you're going to be able to take some focus off the podcast and put it back on, on playing and getting out there and and being a musician too. Yeah. I don't want to say, I don't want to say taking focus off the podcast. Mm -hmm. I think that it's just, it's not as as time consuming. It's not going to be as time consuming right. as it once was because right. it, it wasn't. You're always in growth mode, like Matt said. You know, you always want to reinvest and and keep building, but now it's it's starting to get legs. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. takes. I don't want to say it takes less effort because I don't want to make it sound like I just like sit around all day and like the it, all this stuff just no, it magically happens. Attention, but it's. It's sort of like I, it just doesn't take as much grind time. Like it doesn't need 12, 14 hours a day anymore. Right, know? right. So, so I'm not taking sign. my focus. I, and I'm, I'm, and I'm 
very hesitant to say that because I was on a couple other podcasts talking about how I'm interested in like doing some other things, maybe even starting another podcast, uh, starting another business and all this stuff. And people were saying, well, are you, are you not interested in doing drummer's resource anymore? Or do you not love it anymore? And that is not the case at all. Mm-hmm. I love it as much as I, I've always have. And I wanted to keep growing and get bigger and expand the content and all that. Uh, but I have other interests and I like other things too. So it's yeah. in addition to drummer's resource, sure. not not you know taking it away from drummer's resource. Right, right. Yeah. So what are you looking at as far as like working your way into the into the San Francisco scene or the Oakland scene or or um, you know just that region? Uh, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna you know talk to David Garibaldi, see what he recommends. My buddy Jeff Campbell is a singer songwriter out there. He actually won the Guitar Center uh, singer-songwriter competition a couple of years ago. He's a oh, great cool. musician, pretty well connected. Uh, he's from my hometown, so we've we've played together for years, and he's out there. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to sort of get in with him, see, you know, where – you know where that can lead and his drummer uh his drummer rick munoz is is there too so mm-hmm. i'm gonna connect with him there are some other people that i know who live out there that i can just kind of say hey i'm in the area uh and then i'm gonna you know put boots on the ground and and figure out what i gotta do to to really get into that, that scene yeah and i'm interested i actually wanted to talk to you about it too i'm interested to know what you did in Atlanta. I mean, you were, I remember you were like, Hey, I'm moving to Atlanta. And next thing I know, like three weeks later, you're like, Oh, gig number 37. in Atlanta." <laughs> I'm like, this guy's, I'm like, the dude, does, I don't even think he lives in Atlanta yet. And he's, he's yeah. gigging in Atlanta yeah. already. It, it wasn't, it wasn't quite that quick, but, um, it was gig 35. Right. Yeah. It was 35. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I, I took a lot of lessons from my time in LA and I, I think I, I talked about this, um, in the, the interview I did with, with Matt for, for our podcast. Um, there were, there were some ways, uh, that I, you know, I didn't really go about things the right way in LA. And I, I think it mostly had to do with, with persistence. Um, I, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't show up often enough in, in the same places to, to really develop some, some deep relationships with people. Um, and it wasn't until I lived there for, uh, three or four years really that I, I formed a couple of really deep friendships and deep musical relationships. Um, most notably with, uh, the organist and keyboardist Ty Bailey and vibraphonist Nick Mancini. They're still my good buddies and we played a lot together. Um, but, uh, you know, coming to Atlanta, I just, you know, had the mindset that I have to be out all the time, you know, not every night, but like three, four nights a week. Um, so, you know, my, my wife and I both just kind of got ready for that undertaking. And, and, you know, there were a lot of nights when I didn't really feel like going out when, you know, I was on the couch and comfy and, uh, or when uh, when money was a little tight and I didn't want to spend money just go going to buy beers at some somebody's gig, you know. Right. Um, but uh, there was there was a lot of just getting out and and seeing people and meeting people. Um, just can, I just I want to interject real quick. I'm sorry to cut you off. But yeah. That's sort of when I moved up here. That was another thing. Like money was tight, mm-hmm. and it's not cheap to go out in New York to see bands. Right. Oh, you know, yeah. like there's a lot of great music out here, but it's a hundred dollar night. No, like no oh, question. My there. God. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't just go in and like grab a drink and, and leave. It's like two drink minimum. Like if you're going to stay for both sets, you got to pet, you got, you know, you got to have a two drink minimum per set. Blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's, it's, right. it's not cheap, but go and, ahead. Sorry. Well, that, that's one of the reasons that I, I think it was, it was easier for me, at least psychologically, if, if not practically in Atlanta, because, you know, in LA there's, there's, it's, it's oftentimes not cheap to go out. Um, but there's also traffic, man. And, and, <laughs> you know, unlike, mm-hmm. unlike Nashville or New York, um, there isn't, there isn't kind of a centralized location in LA for, for live music. Um, you know, you might, you might have to drive down to Orange County or up to North Hollywood or, or over to Santa Monica. And no matter what time of day it is, it just is a pain in the ass. Uh, so, <laughs> um, right. I think, I think that's what, um, kept me in a lot of nights when I should have been out in LA. Um, 
But, um, you know, Christina gave me really good advice uh, at, at the beginning of our time in Atlanta because she's like, when I went out in L.A., um, she would kind of see my mindset about like, okay, I'm going to this place to meet this person and I hope to get this, this and that out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, she would she would see how I would hope to come back with something to show for my trip. Um, right. in terms of hustling and networking. Um, but Hunter she told gather. me, you know, when we get to Atlanta, just go out and hear music. Just be be a listener. Don't feel like you got to hustle and, and uh, you know, network at, at every opportunity. And don't feel like you have to meet specific people at a specific place. Like, just just go where, you know, the, the current takes you in Atlanta. Go hear some music that you're really into go discover some new musicians that you're really into and just you know kind of appreciate the scene for what it is a lot of the credit goes to just the atlanta scene itself and the musicians there um they were just so welcoming and and really positive about me being there like even even other drummers were like man i'm so glad you're here we need you here we need you on the scene um so it's really a credit to to atlanta and and the musicians there um a lot of them really helped me get going so where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. You and I had a conversation that I thought was interesting about... um about the difference between Atlanta and LA mm-hmm. and the difference of people, no one in LA, well, I shouldn't say no one, but a large majority of the people in LA are not looking for gigs in LA. Right. They're looking for touring, but in Atlanta, it's eight, you're able to sort of get into this local scene that is sort of self-sustaining that you could theoretically play there forever. Right. Would you say most, right? most cities yeah, are yeah. like that. Say what, Matt? It sounds like most, I mean, with few exceptions, New York, Nashville, L.A., I think it would be safe to say that most cities are like that. Yeah. Well, the, the town that I grew up in, Westchester, Pennsylvania, is has a great music scene. Not as good as it was, but it's still really, really good. And But years ago, you could walk down the street and there's, you know, 10, 15, 20 bars with live music, and there's a scene there that you can you could theoretically play, you know, Friday and Saturday night, you can play every single weekend and rotate through the same, you know, 25 or 30 bars, and you could do that forever. I know guys that are still playing, you know, the first Friday of the month and have been for literally 15 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that I I enjoyed that because you come home like I would go out on the road. There's you know, I would play however long I was on the road, but then I would come home and there was gigs at home. There was that local scene. Everyone knew who I was. I was Mm -hmm. connected and it's great. It becomes like a family. So then when you don't when you need a hi-hat clutch and you just call the guy down the street and you're like, hey, John, I need a hi-hat clutch. And It's like, cool, I'll bring it over, you know, like. Oh, I'm gonna. I'll leave my kit here for you to play tomorrow. Whatever it is, right. but that local scene is hard in LA. Yeah, and um, it's, it's it's like a fly by night scene. It's kind of yeah. It's not that that kind of thing doesn't exist in LA, um, but it's just it's it's a little harder to find and and harder to tap into. And I think um, y- you have to you have to put more time in in LA to to kind of find that um than you do in Atlanta because like we had I mean within within a few months of Atlanta uh, within a few months of being in Atlanta um I I already had you know more more friends and colleagues well not more but as many friends and colleagues as I did in LA um 
And it's just because L.A. has such a, a short attention span. Um, everybody's kind of go, go, go. What's next? What's the next step up? What's the, you know, and, and that's not a that's not a knock on L.A. That's just kind of what the city runs on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I, I think your, your, your point is that a city like Atlanta is is sustainable. The, the scene there can can sustain a lot of musicians. Um, and, you know, the, the ceiling might not be quite as high as it is in a place like New York or, or L.A. There, there are just some opportunities that exist in New York, Nashville and L.A. that simply do not exist in right. other cities. Um, but I've I've found Atlanta to be kind of the best of both worlds. I mean, I was in L.A. for five years and before that I was in Kansas City for seven years. Um and I've, I've found Atlanta to be kind of the happy medium between the two. Um, it has a really vibrant local scene and it's, it's easy to find your tribe, um, you know, the similar to Kansas City. Um, but similar to L.A., Atlanta is it's a big enough city. It's an international hub. It's kind of hooked into the rest of the world. Um, and there are there are opportunities to do a lot of. Uh, a lot of stuff other than just playing on the local scene. And even if those opportunities don't come up very often or at all, like you said, the local scene itself is vibrant and cool and high quality enough that, uh, that it can sustain you. Right. That's one of the things I'm excited about with San Francisco is that there is that scene there that, you know, San Francisco, Oakland, uh, that, that area. Mm -hmm. And I can go to LA. I could do the music business stuff that I really want to do. But then also come home to this local scene. And if I get some gigs out of L.A., that's great, too. But I think that I, I may have found you know, the best of both worlds. Yeah. Matt, I'm curious Sorry. about your, your kind of reentry into Nashville because it's, it's almost like you're, you're working your way into a new city. Um, I'm the prodigal wh- son. <laughs> he has returned. Um, I, I, okay, everyone, give me your gigs now. I'm home. That's all I'm I said. I'm back for my gigs. I'm back. I'm back for my road gig. I've, I've ignored you. I've been out making money. Now I need to make some money with you. Right. No, right. Oh, one thing I wanted to say about um, some of the things that you learn, Zach, is that no matter what city you are in across the country or probably across the world, is just this genuine approach to uh, networking. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think that was really good advice from Christina was you can smell when someone is just looking for a gig or as we say in Nashville, germing, where you're just trying to just schmooze with somebody and there isn't a genuine, it doesn't mean that they have to be your best friend and everything, but there isn't a genuine relationship that's established. And so Coming back to Nashville, it's not like I'm new to the scene. I've been here for 16 years. People know that I'm here, and through social media, you're able to kind of keep your presence known. Mm -hmm. And yet, in Nashville, people know that when you're on the road, even if you are sitting at home, you're like, oh, don't call him. He's on the road. And then people just stop calling you all together. You move further down the list before... And before long, you're off the list. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where I'm at. I'm almost at the bottom end of many people's lists because they've moved on. And so now it's like I've taken careful I've, – I've paid careful attention to how I message people to let them know that I'm in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I try and make it a personal message uh, to them. I take a little time every night to send out at least two or three to people that I've worked with in different capacities – live or in the studio or whatever, just to say, hey, I just want to let you know, I've left my gig, I'm in town, I really enjoyed working with you last summer, or, you know, that was a good thing. Um, I'm trying to put some pieces together, but it would be great to meet. Um, and then t- I'm t- to be very genuine about it, like, mm-hmm. I don't have a whole lot of time but I have mornings free, and if you want to do breakfast together or if you want to grab coffee, I live in this part of town, and I know you live in that part of town, and there's a great coffee place, and I'm going to be over there. Some of those things, I'm just trying to be real careful to not become white noise to so many people that are saying, hey, I'm, I need a gig, or I need this, or I'm back in town, because that happens a lot. For many reasons, people are coming off the road, or they're moving to town, mm-hmm. um, and just to try and make it about the relationships. And guys, again, I feel like 
I've learned, I mean, I've, we've all been doing this. We've all been working in the music business for so long, but I'm constantly having revelations through different podcasts and through my own interviews. And I'm so thankful for it. I feel like I'm armed with some information that is useful in making these social connections because that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And like you say, man, being consistent with showing up in the same places and and knowing what you're getting into and 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 kind of being a little bit more, I don't say selective, but but making sh- I I feel like this is almost a do over for me, mm-hmm. where I know the pitfalls, um, and I want to be smart about it so that I'm spending my time wisely. That creates a. Uh, a happy life, a happy environment, and it doesn't because somebody's like, there might be this road gig, but you don't want to go back on the road. I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah, you know, and now, the, the the idea of being selective really, really kind of struck a chord with me just now because um, I I feel like in in LA in terms of networking, uh, I I cast my net really wide and not very deep. Um, and coming coming to Atlanta, I think I put more of an emphasis on forming you know forming fewer relationships, but but deeper relationships. Sure, um, depth, man, depth is. Yeah, I think depth is so much more important. Than yeah, that. so so you know on a on a given night, like in my first few months of of being there, I would be it was it was like okay, I can go to this new place and meet this guy I haven't met yet, or I can go to this other place for the third time and hang out with that dude for the third time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I you know often I often chose to do the latter, and I think it's 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 paid off with uh, a number a number of you know personal and, and musical relationships that I have now in it. Atlanta that I really value. One of the things that you guys mentioned is being selective and that has always been the the driving force behind drummer's resource because I don't want to do things that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to have to go on the road because this conversation being the exception, right? <laughs> <laughs> this conversation being the exception. <laughs> okay, sorry. I was like, oh god, I got to talk to these guys for an hour. I'm like, I got 15 minutes. Can we do it in 15 minutes? <laughs> Never mind. What were you Zach's saying? Talker, I'm sorry, so Zach. we got to do an hour. <laughs> um, as I as I'm talking. Um, the but, but not not having <clears throat> I didn't want to be in a situation where I had to take a gig on the road because I needed the money. I didn't have to not go or you know I don't have to miss dinner with you know friends who are in town because I have to play some gig that I don't want to play on a Friday night for fifty bucks because I need the money. Yeah, and I didn't want to be in that situation. And I'll play a fifty dollar gig all night. You know I don't I don't care about that. But I don't. I don't want the 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 money to control my life. So if I can figure out a way to make money other ways, drummer's resource, then if someone says, hey, do you want to do this gig? My wife and I are going out to dinner that night, and I'd rather go do that than go make 50 bucks at this gig. No, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've got plans. I'm good. Yeah. But if I, didn't ha- if, I, you know, if I didn't have any money, I get to take that gig. Mm-hmm. Or I get to take that tour with that guitar player that I don't want to play with, but I need the money and mm-hmm. bills are due, so I have to take that. And I never, I I never wanted to be in that situation. I refuse to be in that situation. So it comes down to being selective and having the freedom to be able to do what you want to do. Yeah, Matt, how is that? How is that translating to you? Are are you in like say yes to every gig mode, or are you uh, being more selective? <laughs> I'm not being more selective. I, I I haven't. Well, I have had some things, but so far they've all been good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that I've been as selective in the past, and mm-hmm. um, in there are definitely times that I find myself in bad situations and uh, taking gigs and being too busy to do the other gig that I wish I was doing or right. whatever. And. Um, to be clear, when I was building Drummer's Resource, I did a lot of stuff that I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. That's on to the internet to, too, man. You know, you know, to get to the point of being able to be selective. Right, it's sort right. of like, you know, slumming it for a couple of years to be able to put yourself in the position. It's just like anything. It's like starting a business, or you know, well, yeah. this that was starting a business. But like for Matt, I would imagine that Matt, you're sort of like I need to sort of be a little less selective because 
I'm trying to get this ball rolling again yeah, in, like, okay, in the so, city. And then it'll get you to a point where you're like, okay, now I can be more selective right. and have more control. So, t- so today, um, I've, I've got a gig this afternoon downtown on Broadway, which I've had lots of good experiences there. I've had lots of bad experiences there. And I've never made it a full-time thing. There are many people that go down there and work full-time there. It's a scene. It's one of the many scenes within the scene of Nashville. There's multiple scenes. It's, this, is, this place is saturated with music, musicians and the whole music business. Um, so it's, the thing I don't want to fall into is I don't want that to become my scene. The, the one scene. I see great players down there just that are miserable <laughs> that should yeah. be doing yeah. that should be doing many things. I'd like to use it as a piece of the puzzle if I'm able mm-hmm. to. And I think because I'm opening myself up to non music other opportunities, other gigs and, 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 and I think the the podcast is another one of those things. It's just another avenue of how to participate in the music business in a non playing way. And teaching is another thing. I haven't really gone down that route, but the air gigs is another thing that I'm excited about. So it's 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 allowing me to be more selective. But I think I was in panic mode for so many years to take everything I could. And I was really fortunate to find myself in lots of great situations. But I'll tell you, I have a friend of mine. I'll t- tell you real quick. When I first moved to town and I was working part-time at at Gary Fork store, uh, Forkums, uh, working at Forks. And I was also, for a year, I worked stocking shelves at a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And all, and it was like this really cool organic grocery store. And all these songwriters would come in and eat lunch <laughs> there. It was like, it was like a world market kind of thing. And I just felt like just such a goof with my apron. And I'm like, I'm just, this is not cool. And my friend said to me, he goes, you know what? He goes, you're so driven to make it in this business that you will take this job to support your family my son my first son was born so that you have I mean I've got a de- I've got a degree in music business you know right. you could go get that other job but you're making yourself available by working this other job and that kind of that was the boost that I need to stay with it and then all of a sudden the audition came to leave that job for a playing gig and that kind of started my full-time playing career because I had that job because I wasn't stuck in a whatever right. situation so that helped me get started um, so it, it, it's difficult to know but I feel like now's my opportunity but at, uh, there was no but about it I have greater expenses at this stage in my life um, sure. and so I and my, my wife has a wonderful job working for a nonprofit here in Nashville, but it doesn't pay really well. I have to kind of make sure that I'm bringing to the table what I can. So that means that I kind of have, I want to be selective about what I'm doing, but I really have to pay attention on the goal. And for me, what I'm doing in my life right now is just being focused on on family in that way so that um, if I can do music... Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna work hard at it. And so mm-hmm. far, the last three weeks since I've left my road gig, if things keep going this way, I think I'll be able to do it. Yeah, you know? awesome. Yeah, I think you've you've got. I mean, you've obviously got a ton of talent, and from what I can tell, you have a lot of goodwill in Nashville. Um, and I think I think the uh, I think the scene is gonna rally around you and get you going. I hope so. And and you know, it's the southeast, and people are super nice. Um, yeah. Whether they mean it or not is another thing. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the thing they say? The biggest insult is when someone says, "Aren't you precious?" No, it's that's bless like your, in the, bless your heart. Bless your heart yeah. in the South, right? Yeah, yeah. Bless yeah. your heart. Yeah. I'm also curious, Matt, about like you know you're 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 re-entering the Nashville scene. Is it a different scene than than uh, you first entered? In some ways, yeah. You know, it's like I see different people. There's a there's been a lot of young players that have come into town uh, and reestablished relationships with uh, bands and musicians that I I was the guy for. You mm-hmm. know, and um, so I kind of have to get back in line in in some ways. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm still learning. 
Uh, and I, I know I keep bringing this up, but, but through the podcast, it's, I've met a bunch of people that I didn't know that have been here as long as I have. So I think it's how far this scene here is so deep and there's so many scenes within the scene and circles that intersect and some do and some don't, um, that you could make, you could, it's almost like living on Long Island. You could never, you never have to leave. You could you live there your whole life and that could be your world. There's different yeah. scenes right. like that here too. So I don't know, the, man. The one thing that, yeah. uh, the one thing that you said that, that stuck out was like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm focused on spending time with my family, yeah. on being home, on really making that a priority. And there's something about making that choice. There's something about having control of that choice. It sort of reminds me of – do you know Neil Strauss, the, the author? I don't. No. So he, he wrote a, he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's written a bunch of different books. And he was going bald and he shaved his head. And he said, going <laughs> bald is not a choice. But shaving your head is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he, he was like – to, I didn't want to be bald, but by electing to shave my head, now it becomes a choice. Now it becomes a decision that I've made. So it's one thing if you're forced to stay home and yeah. and because yeah. like you quote unquote couldn't make it on the road, mm-hmm. it's another to say I'm going to make the choice to stay home because I want to be here with my family and I'm going to figure everything else out yeah. around it. I think that is such a powerful mind shift thing that happens that now you're in control and it's something that's not controlling you and that for me is the ultimate thing it, like the is i said it before but it all comes down to freedom hmm. and and choice and decision and when you have control over that then like man how life doesn't get any better than that you're right Preach. yeah you're right man I, I, that's what i think <laughs> yeah it's imp- i don't know that's, hey uh, listen maybe maybe i'm wrong but it, it it is empowering uh, because I think there is a lot of pressure, even internally, that we struggle with, like how we are perceived in our industry with social media yeah. and all the stuff that we've grown up on. Looking up to our heroes and seeing our peers do different things, and we're like, "Oh, that's cool! Look at that Serena gig! Look at look what he's doing! Or look who he did the session with! Or, you know, I I heard him on the radio when I was in, you know, Kroger or whatever." And it's like, "Oh my gosh, what am I doing?" It's like, "How can I? I don't want to let anybody know that I'm, 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 you know, I'm doing this part-time painting job or whatever." And it's like, you know what? I just don't give a shit anymore, man. Yeah. Because right. one of the right. things I when I when I made the announcement on Facebook that I was leaving this gig and I wish these guys well and um and all this stuff and it's time to refocus on family, every comment was like, "Awesome, man. Good for you." And it was an empowering thing because I I I struggled with that perception thing like you said, Nick. And uh yeah. and th- and that's no longer I think a thing. they all do. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. especially in the podcast it's like you uh, we have all all these listeners and you know even for you know a while for me you know i was like scared to show one side of me that that i was like oh maybe they'll think you know less of me or or whatever and then i don't know the i think the moment that i started being a lot more i don't want to say more honest because i've always been honest with the audience but like being less selective about what they see Mm-hmm. And here, and mm-hmm. just being like, "Hey, man, this is the this is the reality of this is life. This mm-hmm. is what it is." Uh, I think that that's re- that struck a chord with my audience too. I think yeah. so. I think so. Yeah. They, people appreciate that. And yeah, it's, it's like, oh shit, you struggle with this thing. It's like, yeah, I do. Like, I yes, I still watch. You know, who you know, I still watch. I don't know the Bachelor. Bernard Purdy play and okay. like want to go lock myself in a closet and never come out. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, of course. Like, well, we all have that. Yeah, and comparing yourself to to whoever else, um, and it's something we all do. It's something we're all guilty of. But um, Nick, a while back, you interviewed uh, Michael Carvin, mm-hmm. and, and I got to study with him a bit when I was in Kansas City. Um, and I was having this kind of conversation with him about uh, there was there was another drummer in Kansas City who was, you know, doing a lot of cool shit. And, and I was just feeling insecure about it. And and Michael Carvin was like, man, fuck him. It ain't none of your business. <laughs> yeah. and, That's definitely a Michael Carvin quote. Yeah. But like the, the, the notion that that whatever 
whatever anybody else is doing in their career is none of your business. Right. Um, you know, cause we can tell ourselves like, oh, we shouldn't let it affect us. It's, you know, we, we're on our own path and blah, blah. But like Carvin just said, it's none of your business. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of easier said than done, but putting it in those right. terms is like, you can, you know, you can choose to pay attention to it or, or not. Right. Right. Mm. Uh, uh, Gerald Hayward, I had on the podcast too. And he said, you know, some, I I've done all these tours and played in all these stadiums and, you know, and, and played with all of these people. And that's, I did that because that's what I was supposed to do, but not everybody's supposed to do that. Yeah. And thinking that everyone is supposed to do that and l- trying to live by that standard, he was like, it's going to kill you. You know, like I, I did it. Be- I didn't, you know, it just happened that, that naturally was how, how it progressed. And the things where you're naturally progressing to, those are the things that you should be doing. If it's, if it's this uphill battle, every time you turn around, he's like, maybe you need to take a look at it and wonder if this is the right path for you or not. Not that it won't be hard, but like if, if it just seems like one way just makes sense to you. And like for me, like business just makes sense to me, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just easy for me. It's not easy for me, but it just makes sense. But other things that I've tried to do, it's always a struggle. I never felt like I was good at it. I never, you know, it's like, okay, maybe that's not the right path then. Yeah. Right. I think people get caught up to like, you know, going back to what we talked about a little bit, but like, oh, if I'm not playing in stadiums, then, you know, I didn't make it, but I'd much rather be, you know, a Chad Smith, where I'm a member of the band playing in that band versus a hired gun on the road that, you know, you go out on the road, you make, you know, we're not, I mean, maybe we, we shouldn't get into money, but you're not <laughs> making that much money on the road. Yeah. And, but the lead singer of the band is coming home and he has $5 million more in his pocket. Right. You know, right. and especially like the Nashville cats, mm-hmm. like, those guys are not crushing it like everybody thinks they are. Yeah, it's a it's a completely it's a it's a different situation, and, and country doesn't get the love uh, that I think a lot of other scenes, as far as those who are supporting the artists. I mean, you are very low on the totem pole. You have the singer or quote unquote artist, and then you have management, and you have artist development, and you have the studio, and you have all these people, and then you have the touring band. Now those lines are getting blurred more and more which is really great but um you are so replaceable and so disposable uh so you have to you have to be very humble but you know going back to what you said uh, i think there is a breed of people out there that not cultivating relationships not having a family or having a certain that certain amount of stability that i think a lot of us enjoy and like and and that is a part of the equation and make up of uh, happiness in our life there are a breed of people that that's all they want to do and that's how they see themselves right um, for the rest of their life i don't know i don't know too many people who successfully have done that like been on you know maintained mm-hmm. It's a difficult. family life on the road. The, you yeah. know what the difference maker I've always seen is sidemen versus members of the bands. Mm-hmm. In what way? Because it, it seems like the guys who are in the bands, who own part of the bands, who, yeah. who are making a lot more money, it's easier for them to fly home. It's easier, you know, for them to fly their family out to hang out with them. Yeah. It's easier for them to send money home. You know, like it's a lot easier for me to be away from home when my checks, when my wife's getting a check for a million dollars a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Or maybe not a million dollars a week, but you know what I mean. But it yeah. it it makes it's it's a lot easier than, you know, they can pay for daycare. They can. I mean, money money makes things easier. Let's not let's well, not mince words here. Right, right. And and I can tell you that as I was in this group for a long time, I mean, I was kind of the hired gun, but I had more and more of a say as the years went on. Uh, in the last year and a half, 
all but the singer and I, all the members left for one reason or another. So I had even more say, and I was participating, and I could bring my family on the road. I could, if I wanted to, but there was stuff that was going on that, I mean, it's like my wife had to work. My kids had to go to school. They couldn't leave, and the singer who, you know. But what I'm saying, like if you're Chad Smith, your wife doesn't have to work. Right, but how many Chad Smiths are there? (laughs) Right. No, no, the only thing that I was saying was the difference of. Sure. Of guys who, uh, like, who can maintain that relationship, I think that the money goes a long way. That's all yeah. I was. Yeah. That's all I was saying by that. For you know? sure, so I think it's harder for us normal people. Right. You know? right. <laughs> well, and there's I mean, all I'm those... definitely not normal, but <laughs> I love the the like the Foo Fighters documentary, and they're in the studio, and there's all the kids running around and and stuff like that. I'm like, well, what a perfect balance. What that's that oh. looks incredible. That's yeah. awesome. you see when Dave Grohl's like standing outside of the studio and the guy walks by and he's like oh my god you're dave Grohl!" like he's like my son is a huge fan of yours and he goes to the son he's like you want to come in and watch us make a record and he just like brings him inside and yeah. lets him watch the recording yeah i remember uh the, the foo fighters were on letterman one time they were on a few times but one time dave Grohl actually did panel with letterman and and uh, letterman was like so you uh you brought your kids with you this time Girl was like, "Yeah, they're uh, they're backstage, man. They can they can destroy a dressing room like Van Halen wished." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> He's good people, man. He's good to have in this business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nick, thanks for doing this, man. This is thanks fun. for having me, and um, I think we should do it again. We should. Um, yeah, we should. You know, at some point, and just kind of have a. It's it's just. I feel like we've touched on one thing, and and. Uh, really worn it out <laughs> i feel like we can i i want to check in with you guys in a year because like i'm i'm a i'm a year plus into my atlanta transition you know and, yeah, and things right. are going well so in a year from now i want to hear about nick in san francisco and matt in nashville yeah okay, here's we should pre- do that we should like put it on the calendar now to remind ourselves you yeah know, like okay we did this in february let's do it next february yeah, yeah. here's a preview i'll be, I'll be crying the blues and like, i don't know oh, that's that's gonna be my preview <laughs> My house is gone. I started a blues band. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're making millions. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife wants to come back. Um, got my dog back. Got my oh no, that's a country song. <laughs> Sorry. Alright guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna right. jet, but good talking to you. Alright. Shout good to you talk later. to you guys. You too. See ya. Talk to you later, guys. Bye. Bye. See you. So my thanks goes to Nick Ruffini for taking some time to talk to Zach and I. He's been a good uh, resource, again, for this podcast, and I, I appreciate him. That conversation was a lot of fun, and I think it would be interesting to check in again, uh, the three of us, to see where we're at, maybe in a year, maybe in six months or so, and uh, see what's been going on. We've got some exciting things coming up uh, in the coming months that we'll keep you posted about that involves you and participating uh, with some things that we are trying to develop this year in 2017. My thanks, as always, goes to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interviews. I want to take two seconds real quick and just talk a little bit about how we digest these podcasts. Uh, We have all different ways of doing it. I hear people say that, hey, when I mow my lawn, I'm listening. When I'm driving to work, I'm listening. When I go to the gym, I'm listening. Uh, I caught part of this and then I had to go to class and then I I picked up where I left off. There's many different ways to listen to these podcasts. The, The beautiful thing is, regardless of how long they are, you can pause, you can come back and pick up where you left off. So that's what's unique about these. But again, thanks for everyone's support and listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.